This podcast is a 2020 Pod Roger production. Supported by Growthites. Affordable, beautiful, professional websites. Customized to your specific needs. To see how you can grow your project, visit Growthites. G R O W S I T dot E S. Pod Roger Cast, 28th January 2021. Coronavirus. Pandemic, Coronademic, Talking Points. What the actual fuck? What's next? Imagining the future? Homework takes on a new meaning. What's real? What are we thinking? What can we do? Has this been the worst ever social and economic disaster in our lifetimes? Or has it been the squealing brakes we needed to curb our pre-pandemic headlong tunnel vision rush towards, well, where? We haven't really had time to think about that. We've been too busy. And is it unprecedented? Or is it just one of the smaller, if not insignificant, health crises in roughly 300,000 years of the human story? The answer is yes or no, or all of the above. For some it hasn't been so drastic, it's even been interesting, a wake-up call, an eye-opening surprise, intimations of a new world waiting for us. For others, millions, billions of people, this has been dreadful, shocking, crushing. Life was already tough enough and suddenly the little that they had has been locked down or ripped away or they're forced to endanger their own lives and others just to survive. And many have seen their businesses, their jobs, their weddings and funerals, without warning, abruptly disappear into a ruthless black hole. For some luckier ones, it has just been a horror show of seemingly interminable boredom and alcohol, doing the same bloody things or nothing, day after day after Blur's Day. While some have clung to crosswords, jigsaw puzzles, binged on Netflix and blown the dust off childhood board games, many others have discovered TikTok or embraced Instagram and explored their latent talents and skills, joined online courses or worked on projects they never had time for before. But even this can drain enthusiasm if what we also need is the stimulation of other humans physically close to us. People who already work from home and are more used to it might have escaped the worst of the trauma. For introverts and people who enjoy their own company, there is the added benefit that avoiding going out in public becomes a good deed. Arundhati Roy, The Pandemic is a Portal Whatever it is, coronavirus has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could. Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing for a return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture, but the rupture exists. And in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we've built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. 
It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly, with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. What's next? What has roared up to surprise us is an incredible global treasure trove and display of creativity and ingenuity that hadn't displayed itself quite so publicly or broadly before. A lot of people are suddenly engrossed in something they love doing that has become more than a frivolous hobby. We've discovered new ways of doing things and embraced new rules for living. There's been an extra flourishing of kindness and caring. Many of us are longing for the time when this uncertainty is all over and everything returns to normal. What the politicians are falling over each other to call the other side of this. As if we're going through a tunnel that doubles back on itself and will pop out the other end into an unchanged world. But it won't work like that. We're already creating a new world with novel expectations. Many of us are praying that we never go back to that pre-2020 normal because returning to those days would be to endorse the negatives and stress of that time, abandoning so much of value we're freshly learning. It would be like resigning to the hopelessness, like embracing our abuser. What before we'd considered normal isn't normal in the history of humanity not in the history of science or technology, not even in the stagnant history of politics. What we called normal before this time wasn't normal as recently as 20 or so years ago. The world of 2020 is not at all the same as the world of 2000, and it's starkly different from the world of 1980. Millennials were born in the Dark Ages, many before the internet and smartphones, which rule our lives today. Everything is always changing in the subtle blink of a historical eye. It morphs subliminally as we watch, but don't notice. And it sneaks up on us so surreptitiously that it feels as if things have always been this way. Except, except that this very recent jolt sits on top of centuries where the central pillar of human society hasn't essentially changed like an Easter Island statue set in stone that goes literally deep underground. This central pillar of modern society in effectively all cultures and all politics is the gaslighting coercion and commodification of humans by the wealthy and powerful in relentless pursuit and protection of power and wealth. While everything else is always changing, the underpinning fundamental principles of political philosophy change glacially. Most politicians and their parties almost anywhere in the world still wade up to their armpits through the foul morass of opportunist cronyism, still harvest the noxious sludge of the distant past, still head down trying to navigate with stained, fading, tattered and obsolete maps the quagmire of ancient myths of crumbled worlds millennia ago. Still shadowing the spectral call of long-dead heroes buried in dark ages or in the more recent beige years of hopelessness and resignation imposed upon us for a quarter century by Ming the Grim, 
still desperate to claw up and restore a long-vanished and fictitious world of fairy-tale childhoods, still hawking concepts that decomposed centuries before they were born. While the horse-and-buggy politics of early Australia, forever ago it seems, were often steeped in inequality, prejudice and discrimination, at least some few of those early Federalists were people who had achieved something in their own right before they became members of Parliament. People of principle who had a sense of service, social conscience, morality and fairness, and worked for the good of the country. They fought for the people, for a basic wage, fair working hours, a national broadcaster and an equitable health service, and if they were found breaking the rules... They resigned. It has not lately been like this, as you know. Normal in the 21st century has been the seats of Parliament on both sides, filled, when they are filled, with the polished asses of chances, grifters, opportunists and carpetbaggers, arrogant, self-impressed, self-congratulately amoral, branch-stacking careerist apparatchiks, without principles, conscience or ethics, with limited experience, no understanding of the complexity of the real world, empty of any sense of service or what service even means, oozing with greed for power and money, uninterested in the good of the country and its people, willing to lie and cheat in order merely to win and enrich their mates. And amongst them are more than the country's share of racists, fruitcakes, conspiracists, conspirators, and clowns. As American professor Heather Cox Richardson puts it, politicians create their own reality for the end that they will be able to continue to stay in power come hell or high water and will do anything it takes, anything it takes, to make sure that this government, USA, continues to be responsible only to a very, very small elite in society. So, winning at some dick-measuring game, the game of staying in power, for the sake only of staying in power, without regard to the actual issues and potentially destructive outcomes of the game, or of the effects on the country, its people, or their future, this is what politicians all around the world think and have long thought is normal and appropriate. Of course, it's despicable, and we all despise them for it. And the days are not full enough, and the nights are not full enough, and life slips by like a field mouse, not shaking the grass. Ezra Pound Normal before 2020 was good in many ways, but it was never a perfect time, was never good enough, and often it was contemptible. Global warming, our greatest challenge, far greater than this pandemic, has not been seriously addressed, at least not by our global leaders. Inequality, prejudice and discrimination have not dissolved. Political cruelty is rife. Those who struggle are scorned as weak. Unemployment is cast as a moral issue, portraying the almost universally unwillingly unemployed as bludgers, when the fact is it's an economic issue and tool linked to inflation and party politics. If we settle again for the political and economic slop and mush we know it has been, 
all our suffering and our admirable communal discipline and sacrifice through 2020 and now 2021 will have been for nothing. If we ignore the gift of this pandemic, the opportunity, if we fail to take personal ownership of our society and the quality of our lives, that will be a choice we have collectively made and we will each own the responsibility for it. Too much about the COVID world has changed for us to want to reboot the past, but a new normal will not be an improvement unless we keep reminding ourselves of what we have been taught here and the visions of the future we're already imagining. We've had the opportunity to take a stark, honest look at the way we've actually been living. In the gift of this frozen moment, we've seen through the deception of the cultural illusions and delusions we've been wrapped in for so long. Our suspended lives are an opportunity to choose who and how we really want to be, and what is truly possible in life. The power elite will try to convince us to return to a past they already royally buggered up, in the case of many priests, literally. We know we can't trust them. In a private, wine-glazed moment, they would admit that lying to us is in the core of their craft. We can't live into a new future by relying on them or anything they say, when everything they think they know or want us to believe was dredged up from the fossilised past. Imagining the future. Steve Jobs. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is, everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it, you can influence it, you can build your own things that other people can use. The minute that you understand that you can poke life and actually something will, you know, if you push in, something will pop out the other side, that you can change it, you can mould it. Human society has always been organic, even, or perhaps especially, when faced with the horrors of despotism. It is always the mass of the people who take on the big challenges and decide the big corrections. And it is always when people are tired and shrink in fear that the great possibilities are stolen from us. We've already imagined so many ways a new normal might look and feel and how it might work. It's this envisioned, projected future, our combined belief that it's possible, our expectation of it, that will generate the new future with a firm intention that it's beautiful, free and healthy and exciting. We've been given the opportunity to learn to recognise in the cold, calm, quiet light of this suddenly suspended time the levers and pulleys of the flimsy fantasy machine of the systems we've permitted to command the quality, the colours, the contents, the contours and the meanings of our lives. Now is an opportunity to learn to deeply appreciate life itself, the actual miracle of being alive, the right to enjoy it fully in an impossibly unlikely and, as far as we're yet aware, otherwise lifeless universe. It's an opportunity to appreciate being, not just having, not just doing, and not just going somewhere. 
Until now, in our urgent rush toward the void, we haven't really had time to grasp that we're not actually going anywhere anyway. Full of stress, anxiety and fear, we've been sprinting towards... What, though? Winning at life? There's no payoff at the end. No trophy, no pat on our deathbed head. We don't get a certificate for making it to the end, unless we score a telegram from the Queen. If we're always in a hurry to get to the end, we rush past all the amazing things that truly enrich life in the present, because we're too busy to notice them and don't have time for them on the way to nowhere. Eckhart Tolle What will be left of all the fearing and wanting associated with your problematic life situation that every day takes up most of your attention? A dash, one or two inches long, between the date of birth and date of death, on your gravestone. What will be left? Yes, in that brief dash will be the fear, all the hatred and all the good we failed to do, but also in that simple hyphen will be all the good we did do, the love we gave, our positive influence, the lessons we learnt and taught, how we lifted others up, the difference we made in the world, how we helped to protect the world, improve the world, create new ideas for the world. The money we made and the stuff we owned will not be engraved in stone. What will be left of value in the living world? Our kindness, our wisdom, the love we shared and received, the joy we gave to others and the joy we found for ourselves. These things will continue on in the eternal present. We don't win at life. We win in life. The whole of life is in each moment of life itself. What if we were to spend our infinitely precious time here and now appreciating the juicy, exciting, amazing, exuberant cornucopia of the present? What if we play in it, experience it, embrace it, grasp and suck and swallow it in the present? And what if we do all that with feral enthusiasm or in meditative stillness, luxuriously bathe in it right now? Yes, we can sit with our back to this moment, nostalgically yearning for the past, but the past is just a sketchy memory we experience in the present. We can enjoy good memories and be grateful for them in the present. We can understand that whatever our bad memories, they're not real. They're just imperfect recollections we experience in the present. We can thank them for the learning and smooth their pillow. They have no real claws. They can't hurt us in the present without our permission. Yes, we can scream forward with our head in the future trying to reach it before it arrives, or we can savour the joy and the miracle of right now, because the future, inexorably and without our help, will come in its own time. In the present, we can enjoy the possibilities of the future. And when it arrives, we can appreciate its reality. We'll recognise the future when it comes. It will be called the present. Many things have emerged during this lockdown, some of them upsetting, but also good has emerged because of our shared experience. 
There's been an increase in generosity, a stronger sense of local and global community. Complete strangers wave to each other, chat to each other more than they did before. We see it in people from all over the world joining together in creative activities, remotely making music, performing plays. Even dressing up to put out the bins has created an international community of over a million people. Community is the core to being human. We are social animals. We need each other. We're incomplete without others. That's hardwired. We need connection, whether we're introverts or extroverts. We need that real warm sense of personal connection and belonging to a community. Homework takes on a new meaning. In 2020, we've discovered or rediscovered from the cottage industries of the pre-industrial era that employees can work perfectly well from home and be productive and collaborative without being micromanaged. One of Sir Roger's acquaintances reckons the data show an increase in productivity of 25% amongst those working from home. We can continue to do this, and it's scalable. This has benefits for both workers and companies. Workers have found that they can put in the same or more hours from home but don't need to spend hours and money travelling to and from work. And that means they have more time at home, spending more time with family and more time doing the personal things they never seemed to have time for before. In many cases, companies won't need enormous elaborate premises with expensive leases to accommodate the workforce that they have. They won't need to be in the centre of the city. Costs can go down and salaries can go up without a loss of profit. What's real? We spend most of our lives first being trained to be compliant and docile and then bringing those gifts to a job which is, for most of us, not wholly satisfying. Not the job we chose, but the one we could get. Not really who we are or dreamt of being. Learning to pretend to be the person we're expected to be, all for rewards which are never quite enough just in order to survive. For what? For that awful realisation as we get older that we wasted most of our lives wrapped in a blanket to protect ourselves from dangers that never happened. Richard II, Act 5, Scene 5. So it is in the music of men's lives, and here I have the daintiness of ear to check time broke in a disordered string, but for the concord of my state and time had not an ear to hear my true time broke. I wasted time, and now doth time waste me. How do you know that your job is not everything you could wish for and you're wasting your precious time? Do you look forward to Friday? Do you call Wednesday hump day? 
How quickly would you leave your job if you won the lottery? Would you stay in your job and put up with the boss if you didn't need the money? What would you do if you didn't need your job? But it all seems so important, doesn't it? What are we thinking? Far out in the uncharted waters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet. Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide. Despite our unremarkable, humble neighbourhood, we are extraordinary. We are entities with minds the size of the universe, literally. We are the universe. We are the universe conscious of itself, probably for the first time in its 13.7 billion years. We extraordinary beings full of thoughts, emotions, imagination, stories, creativity, wonder, are the only beings aware of their mortality and the mortality of the universe itself. Yet we willingly surrender our too brief and finite lives, our gifts, our dreams, the miracle of our minds. Gaslighted by the greedy, we surrender to a dispassionate system fabricated by them to serve their own ends, to an artificial and deeply dysfunctional construct called the economy. And most of us, to a suffocating story of compliance and conformity and the safe, orthodox, mediocre life. Religion has a lot to answer for. The immense majority of human biographies are a grey transit between domestic spasm and oblivion. George Steiner What can we do? This pandemic has given us time to become more aware of the environments where we live and the people who live there. It's giving us time to be more aware of and to think about what society and community really mean. It's also an opportunity to see how we've overlooked the breadth, the depth and the vitality of community and why, and to draw out the forensic UV torch to reveal the blood on the walls to unveil the fictitious story, to reveal the witchcraft, to expose the illusion, to unmask the conspiracy, and instead to see the reality. To grow into a way of living and of really experiencing and exploring our lives with other real lives, freely, richly and autonomously. It's an opportunity that we can all share. How exactly it will look and how it will be achieved, we can't know, not yet. What we can know is that any outcome hauled out of the grave of the recently passed world will inescapably mean inviting the undead to inhabit and inhibit the future. But if it's drawn from the future that we're already imagining, that will be something new and better. In the meantime, we can reach out in our lives to others, value others, and not just humans, as fellow creatures make a joyful difference to their lives, value our own lives fully for everything they are, be grateful, 
and find joy in our lives. Emazek, with this open time, you do not have to write the next best-selling novel. You do not have to get in the best shape of your life. You do not have to start that podcast. What you can do instead is observe this pause as an opportunity. The same systems we see crumbling in society are being called to crumble in each of us individually. The systems that taught us we are machines that live to produce and we are disposable if we are not doing so, the systems that taught us monetary gain takes priority over humanity, the systems that create our insecurities then capitalise off of them. What if we became curious with this free time and had no agenda other than to experience being? What if you created art for the sake of creating? What if you allowed yourself to rest and cry and laugh and play and get curious about whatever arises in you? What if our true purpose is in this space? As if Mother Earth is saying, we can no longer carry on this way. The time is now. I am reminding you who you are. Will you remember? This podcast is a 2020 Pod Roger production. Supported by Growthites. Affordable, beautiful, professional websites. Customized to your specific needs. To see how you can grow your project, visit Growthites. G R O W S I T dot E S.